We've been saying that it's the Gospel and the Gospel alone that both liberates people. In other words, it's the Gospel and Gospel alone that sets people free. And it's the Gospel and the Gospel alone that transforms people, that changes them. And so tonight, we're going to look a little bit more in depth at that here in Paul's next little chunk of this letter. And I hope that you will um, begin to see a theme emerging, um, that of really answering this question. How do we, how do we tap in to this stuff that we looked at last week called righteousness? That's what we're going to look at tonight. And I want you to be able to leave here tonight having an answer to that question. How do I get righteousness? I'll say it another way. How do I become righteous as we talked about last week? Does that make sense? Credited righteous. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Verse 1 of chapter 3. Paul is ticked off. Remember, he is upset. And he lets it come through, especially in these first three words. Oh foolish Galatians, Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected? That could be another word, being completed by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Did He who applies or supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed among or along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is, who, who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Amen. Well, every Word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. Will you pray with me as we um, go to God asking Him to open up our eyes to hear what He has to say tonight. Oh Lord, would You so be with us in a way by Your Spirit and working alongside Your Word, that we might see and believe this wonderful news that Jesus Christ justifies sinners. Oh Lord, would You help me to speak true things? And the things that I would say, oh Lord, that would not be right or in accord with what You would have to say, when they fall like dust to the ground. And oh Lord, would You help those hearing to open up for the next 
25, 30 minutes or so just to listen and to hear what it is that You would have to teach us. We ask all of this that King Jesus would be made much of. And it's in His name that we pray. Amen. Well, um, I want you to listen to this quote. Uh, my friend Alex Watlington, who's a campus minister at Penn State, uh, he tells this story. I'm not going to tell you who it is just yet. But she says, My drive in life comes from the fear of being mediocre. That's always pushing me. I pushed past one spell of it and discover myself as a special human being. But then I feel that I'm mediocre and uninteresting unless I do something else. Because even though I have become somebody, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. My struggle has never ended and I guess it never will. May I want to take a stab at who said that? Her name is Madonna. I fear that I'm mediocre. Uh, if Madonna fears that, what does that say about you and me, right? But I love that line. But then I feel that I'm mediocre, and unless I do something else, because even though I have become somebody, which she has in some ways, I still have to prove that I'm somebody. Most of us, y'all, have what I like to call the Batman complex. Have you seen that new series of the Batman movies? The first one in particular, which I think is just amazing. Batman is sitting there talking to Katie Holmes. I forget her character's name. And he's about to jump off of that. What's her name? Yeah, Rachel, thank you. He's about to jump off of the building. And she's like, wait a second. You know, hair flowing like the wind. I don't even know you. Who are you? And he's like, in that real scruff voice, Christian Bale says, do you remember this? He says, it's not who I am underneath, but what I do that defines me. Now, it's funny, right? But it's really true. Because I want to venture to guess that most of you believe that. That it's not who you are underneath that matters. It's what you do that defines you. That's what it was true for Madonna. And the reason I share this with you is because of this. Because what this text is telling us is there is essentially two ways, and two ways only, to be, as it were, right with God. One of them is the Batman complex. You are made right with God by what you do. And secondly, is you are made right with God the other way, namely, by faith. That's a real question that all of us are asking deep down. In fact, it is a question that if you cannot have answered, you will probably go insane. I'm not meaning that euphemistically. I'm literally meaning that if you do not know why you exist, you most likely will go crazy. What gives meaning to your life, you won't, if you can't answer that question, you're likely to go crazy. And I just want to say this. Doesn't the Madonna and Batman complex seem absolutely exhausting? Maybe you've been there. Maybe you know what it's like to absolutely come to the end of your rope spiritually or morally and to say, I'm done. I'm turning, it in. I'm turning in my moral performance card and I just can't do this anymore. Or I've failed so many times. I'm just tired. I can't do it anymore. Listen, that is what Paul is getting at tonight. 
And He is going to say this. He wants to say, as a recap of last week, that that idea of being made right with God is what we call being justified. It is the theological word that says to be counted as right and righteous with God in His eyes. And it comes because of the work of another. We talked about this all last week. You'll have to go listen to it because I can't spend too much more time on it. It becomes because of the perfect record of another, namely Jesus. But Paul is going to tell us that there is one way and one way over to access that righteousness. Think of it like a bank account. There's a billion dollars sitting in that bank account. How do you go get that money? It's an ATM card. It's a you know, check. You've got to have some way of getting into that. And Paul is saying the way to get into that righteousness is by faith. And so Paul is going to talk tonight about the, the essential qualities of what faith is. And I want to take a look at it by saying this. First of all, what is faith? Taking a look at its essence. Secondly, we're going to take a look at the parts of faith. And then thirdly, we want to take a look, as it were, at what this history or lineage of faith is all about. We read about it. It seems a little confusing right now. I promise I'll explain it in just a moment. But first of all, let's take a look at what faith is. It is essentially, Paul is going to say, when you see the word faith show up in the Bible, you need to know that it is essentially means the word trust. Faith essentially is the word to trust in something. It is to put your confidence in something. It is to bank your life on to something. It is, in other words, trusting that a thing will do or will be what it promises to be or do. Look, when y'all woke up this morning, you were already displaying faith. Did you know that? You know why? Because you woke up this morning and you knew that gravity was going to continue to work. You saw it work yesterday, and you didn't worry about it when you got out of bed this morning. Man, is gravity still going to be in doing its thing today? No, you got up because the, you had to get up. There it is. Do you see? It was holding you down in your bed. Now, why do I pick such a silly illustration? My point is, is this, is to simply say, it is to bank your life on something. It is a trust that puts its full confidence behind something. And right here in this text, Paul is saying that the Galatians have abandoned that trust in Christ and have resorted back to an external system of moral performance. Remember what we've talked about already. There are certain folks who have slipped into this Galatian church called the Judaizers. And they were saying, in essence, that Jesus is essential, but He's not enough. He's necessary, but He's not sufficient. You need something else besides Jesus to be made right with God. And Paul will have none of it. And that's why he writes this letter. So, Paul is basically saying that faith stands in opposition to the idea of works of the law. Look right there. He says this in verse um, 11. Now, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. In other words, keeping all that the Old Testament has to say to us will in no way whatsoever make God smile at you and accept you. That's what he's trying to get at. In fact, it only brings about death is what we've talked about last week. Now, I've talked a little bit about what faith is. Let me spend a little bit of time 
on what it is not. Because this is huge in Christian lingo. We often hear this. A blank of faith. Y'all fill in the blank. What is it? A leap of faith. And that's what you really have to do in Christianity. You just have to kind of take that first step out there and to begin to take a leap. And I want to tell you this. That is not at all what faith is about. There's no leaping involved whatsoever. Here's why. Because to leap into something means that you don't know what is going on before you. And everything about Christianity is saying, no, faith is reasonable. You must use your mind. In other words, it's no such thing as blind faith in something. That's silly, the Bible would say. The Bible is articulating a reasonable faith. Something that you can know. And something that once you know it and apprehend it, you ought to actually trust it. So help all of us out by scratching those terms from your Christian lingo, okay? Because it's just not what the Bible talks about. So that's huge. Secondly, faith is not a wish in something. It is not wishful thinking. I have faith that the you know frogs are going to win this weekend. I just have faith. Look, you might have faith of it, and that's not what the Bible means. You have a wish that they would win, But that doesn't mean the same thing the Bible means when it says it. Why do I say this? Look, I'm just trying to go to lengths to say that a lot of the times we have these outside, these extra biblical definitions of our words. And then we take them back and we put them into the Bible and then we don't know what the Bible is saying at all. So it's just common courtesy to let somebody say what they're trying to say. And what Paul is trying to say here is that faith in the biblical sense always refers to some sort of trust. That's what he's meaning. It's a confident trust in something. Okay? Now let's move on. What about this idea when I talk about the arm, I mean the uh, parts of faith? Here's what I mean to say. I mean to say that faith in the biblical sense, that trusting in something, always involves two key parts. The idea of the arm of faith, you can figure, uh, we'll talk about that in just a second, and the idea of an object of faith. Now, hang with me please on this because in a few minutes, I'm going to show you why what I'm saying is of incredible importance for you. So please, if you check out at any other part of my sermon, please come back with me and then you have permission to check out after I get done, okay? I will tell you, if you need to check out now, you can check out, okay? But here's what I want to say. Look, The arm of faith always represents our subjective side of apprehending something. The Bible does talk about faith in that way. It's our our, um, trusting into something. That's what it's meant by the arm of something. It's the grabbing on of it. Now, the second part of that is the idea of the object of our faith. Now, I want to show you in distinction what I mean. If you're familiar with the Bible, you might remember in Matthew chapter 14, there's a storm. Matthew, I mean, uh, the guys are in the boat, the guys. Um, And Peter is one of those guys that are in the boat. Peter looks out on the water. He sees Jesus. Jesus calls him and says, Peter, get over here. And Peter gets out on the boat and he starts walking on the water. A miracle indeed, no doubt. But then he begins, the text tells us that he begins to sink because he took his eyes off of Jesus and began to look at the wind. Now look, Peter's confidence, that that internal sense of something, began to droop and to drop when he lost sight of the object of his faith. 
That's kind of a clear biblical way of thinking about it. This is an illustration. But I also want you to begin to think not only about the arm of faith, but it's also about the object of our faith. Paul is urging his readers to refocus their gaze and the way that they think about faith onto a right object. Jesus and Jesus alone. They must begin to take their eyes off of themselves, off of their arms, so to speak, and, and put it rightly back on to Jesus. Now, why is this so incredibly important? Because it has everything to do with your spiritual vitality, life, and growth. And look, your faith in something is only as strong as the object that you have a faith in. I'll say it again. Your faith is only as strong and as confident as the object of your faith, not your arm. We're going to look at that in just a second. Hang with me. I'm not done yet. Here's what I mean to say. Think about it like this. In the St. Bernard Parish in uh, Louisiana, a parish is a county in Louisiana. Uh, Alicia, you'll have to tell us one of these days why they call them parishes and not counties. But uh, I don't know if you heard of this about a week ago. There was an outbreak of, I hope I'm getting this right, primary amoebic meningoencephalitis. Some of you guys go, what is that? Here's what that is. That is a protozoan parasite that gets into your brain from your mouth and then it literally begins to eat your central nervous system. It's cray-cray. <laughs> now listen, you might say, no problem, I'm just going to take some penicillin, some of the strongest antibiotics out there, take it and just wipe it out. Now look, if you were to do that, you might have a lot of confidence in those antibiotics. But you know what else you would be? You would be dead. Because antibiotics won't kill the thing. Do you see what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say, put all your confidence in that thing that you want. And it will get you nowhere because the object itself cannot do a thing. I'll think about it another way. I want you to see, think of it like this. Let's say, I've used this illustration before, I'm going to use it now. Let's say there are two guys, they're being chased by a bear in Alaska and the river is frozen. The guys come to the edge of the cliff where they've got to kind of scurry down and the bear's on his way. And one guy looks at him and says, we can't cross it. It's not frozen. We're going to fall right through. The other guy's like, no man, trust me. We can go across this ice right now. We're going to make it because that bear's coming. Well, both of them, against his better decision and better judgment and, and with his, they get on the ice, they scurry across, and they're, they're saved from the bear. Now here's my question. One guy was saying, no, I don't have confidence that that ice is going to hold me. The other guy's saying, it's fine, let's go across. I have a question for you. Which one of those two men were actually saved from the bear? Both of them were. Why? Because the ice held them. Not because of their confidence in that ice. I have gone to lengths to try to show you the difference between the arm of faith and the object of what you put your faith into. And when the Bible speaks of faith, do you know what matters? The object. Here is why this is so important. Ready? How many of you have ever said this statement? Man, I'm just not doing that good spiritually right now. Or I'm sort of in a rut spiritually. I just can't really get it together. And do you know what you are doing? You are putting your confidence in the arm of your faith. 
You were looking to yourself saying, man, I just can't get it together. I just don't really believe hard enough. I just can't believe hard enough. I'm just having a bad go. And what Paul wants you to say is, say to you is this, stop it. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Stop it and look to Jesus. You, you're actually arrogant when you're doing that. Because you think as if what really mattered to you for your spiritual health and vitality is how you're doing at any given moment. And there is nothing worse for you spiritually than to continually spiritually take your pulse. Because guess what that's going to do to you? It's going to only make you discouraged. Because why? You are somebody of little faith. Look, Jesus wants to give you confidence by saying, look at me. Who cares about you? The only way you're going to ever feel better about you is by what? Looking at me. I want that to be gold for you. Because it has been gold for me in my life that when things go awful and the metaphorical spiritual poop hits the fan and my life just begins to kind of fall apart at the seams, everything I do is begin to look at me instead of saying, look at Jesus. Robert Murray McShane used to say this, for every one look that you take at your sin, take ten looks at the cross of Christ. For every one look you take at yourself, take ten looks at Jesus. Because that's the only thing that's going to bring your confidence back up, so to speak. Do it. Do it tonight and live. Quit looking at yourself. Quit looking at your arm. You have flab and you got small muscles. Let's just name it. But here's what's important. The object of your faith. That which is really in essence holding you. Do you see what I'm saying? Look, I spend a lot of time there because I want you to see how important it is. Now lastly, we're going to go to this idea of the history of the slash lineage of faith. Here you go. You can check out if you want. You're not going to want to, but you can. Lastly, what do I mean by this history of faith? Well, this is a little bit of a theology lesson, but it's everything to do with what we're getting at tonight. Paul, why do you think that Paul is so adamant about this whole faith thing. Here's why. Because he knows that it's the only thing that will make us righteous. It is the only thing that justifies us before God. In other words, it is the only thing that allows us to access not only to God, but to all of His blessings. Listen, I want you to saddle up for a story. It's story time, okay? Back in Genesis chapter 12... God comes to a man named Abraham and He says, Abraham, I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. And I'm going to be holding out this promise not only for you, but for all of your descendants. Now that came to mean a particular group of people. It was not Tennesseans. It was not Texans. It was not North Americans. We didn't exist yet. It was a people called the Jews. And it was the Jewish people that had the promises of God. It was an ethnic limited boundary, so to speak, such that those were the people that God poured out His blessing. It was a special relationship called covenant with. And that happened all the way down right up to Jesus' time. He 
had given the Jews the law that you hear about over and over again here. And it was in that law that those blessings came and that those curses came as well. But what is so important about the man Abraham there in Genesis chapter 12 and 15 and 17 is this. is The Bible tells us that when Abraham trusted God, it was then and there that he was counted as righteous in God's sight. Hang with me. The Judaizers and everybody else in the world at that time was basically saying this, that if you want to make yourself righteous with God, you have to, have to, have to be Jewish. And then Paul, out of nowhere, off of his little flak jacket, pulls off a grenade, pulls the pen, throws it in the mix, and just lets this explode. And he says in verse 7, because of Christ... Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Why does that matter? It matters immensely. Because the only way that you and me are ever going to be blessed is if we're in Abraham's line. And I don't know how many of you are Jewish. I'm not. I'm not. And I don't know if you are either. But listen... Unless you are in Abraham or one of his heirs, you have got no hope. There is no hope of salvation. Zero. But guess what? Because of Jesus, He's saying you don't have to be Jewish. All you have to do is have faith. And if you have faith, if you have trust in Christ, then guess what? All the heirs, you are an heir and all the promises are yours. Why do I go to such lengths to describe this? Look, y'all, I want you to know your Bible. And I know this might sound boring, but I want you to go out of those doors knowing what this thing says and why it matters so much. And the only way we're ever going to do that is if we look at some harder concepts to try to get at. You see what I'm saying? Now look, why do I want to say all this? We're just going to land this plane very simply right now. It has been said that there are really only two religions in the world. Human accomplishment and divine accomplishment. Those are the only two. And to be somebody who lives by works of the law is to try to work your way back into God's graces by moral performance and by keeping a religious code. And Paul is going to say that's what the Jews have done for centuries and it's nothing. It counts for zero. It's called works of the law. And then secondly, it's going to say by faith. By faith of what? By faith that somebody else has done everything for you on your behalf. Now, why can you even begin to have and to access those very great and precious promises that Peter would later tell us about? Here is why. Do you see right there where he says, for, it, for all who rely on works of the law in verse 10 are under a curse. For it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Here's what he's saying. You want to live by the law? Go for it. You've got to keep it at every point at all times. And then if you don't, you've got to go to book Genesis, in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and I want you to read about the curses that come to you if you can't keep it. Because they're not good. And so what happens? 
you and me who have tried to, as it were, live by law, trying to get God to love us, and we failed at it over and over again. Do you know what you and me are because of that? Does anybody want to take a stab at it? We're cursed. We're cursed because we have failed the law. And Paul is saying that Jesus Christ became that curse for us. Hallelujah. And on the cross, where this says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, he's talking about the cross. Jesus Christ became the law's curse that you and me deserved. And we got the law's blessings because of how He met it perfectly. And how do you receive that? You trust. I can't do it, man. I don't have enough faith. Look, it's a mustard-sized seed, a mustard-seed-sized faith that taps into that. Okay, look. I want you to see this. That Christ is the curse. And He is our righteousness in the same moment. And because of that, we get everything. Every and all the blessings from God Himself. Y'all, look. I know that some of the things that I've said tonight are not easy to understand because they've been a little bit high fluting. Look, I want you to know that it is my job to be able to sit with you over coffee and lunch to talk about this book. If you want to talk to me about what I've said tonight, please, let's talk about it. Let's learn more. That's what we're really here to do. I hope that you will begin to see that it's the Gospel and the Gospel alone that saves us. And the way that we access it really is by trusting and not anything that we do. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord, these are hard things for our ears. Would You take them? And would You make them simple that we might understand them? Lord, would You promote clarity where I've been confusing? Would You by Your Spirit, O Lord, open the eyes that folks might see it, seeing that we have someone that has given us, O Lord, the very faith that we need to access You. O Lord, would You show us this and cause our hearts to melt by it. And it's in Your name that we pray. Amen.